other than having a goal that you want to reach and believing you're going to get there, how much do you really know about faith? Even though you don't see it happening at the moment, can you envision that goal or that dream that you have? Can you envision it? And then can you see yourself working towards it? And when you get down and discouraged, can you still continue to get back up and keep going? Do you have enough information on faith to know to do that? Well, that's our topic for today. when you said your vows. You got up there, you did all this planning to have this wedding, or even a small wedding, or just a courthouse wedding. God witnessed your marriage, and he saw it was good. Mark chapter 4 verses 24 says, take heed what you hear. You have heard that, that saying that garbage in, garbage out. How can you continue to stand in faith if you're not speaking faith, if you're not hearing faith into your situation, no matter what it is? Pray more than you've ever prayed before. You die to yourself, to your selfishness, you know, and you realize that Jesus gave himself. He wasn't selfish. He gave himself for us, and we didn't even love him. He is our example as to how to love our partner and love whether he or she loves us right now or not. Jesus says, love them as I have loved you. That's where the rubber meets the road here. This should be your first priority when it comes to love. This is your partner in life and a lot about them says a lot about you. And a lot about how you love them says so much about your marriage. People think they have to have these big elaborate weddings, like as if somehow that's going to make their marriage more special than yours. It's not true. The marriage comes after this wedding is over. And that is where the rubber meets the road. That's when we see how they interact with one another and the way they treat one another and how successful their life will be. Because everything, when you involve God in it, when you're a Christ-centered marriage, you know, I'm not saying it's easy, but what I'm saying is things flow so much better together. So in Matthew Uh, Chapter 6, verse 33, it teaches us, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be given to you. This includes your healed marriage. For you to learn to operate in love at all costs gives Satan no right to hinder your prayers. He knows no such love. He knows no such love. You must have your faith put into action. It demands it. You can't just speak it. 
you must act like it. God says that. He says that faith without actions is dead. You will find this in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. And an example to you is where Nehem the leopard had to go wash in the river seven times. He was already really mad about it, for it sounded like a silly action to have to go take. But he did. Guess what? He was healed. And Jesus saw the faith of the of the men who hauled their paralyzed friend up on a roof and broke through it. These men had to have felt that it was well worth their time and their actions that they took. And you see a little bit earlier um, in the past podcast, I shared with you that I went through a lot of many different feelings after my husband left me. So many, just back and forth, up and down. It's just, you know, a whirlwind of feelings. You know, so um, I was pretty mad at my husband, too. And I soon realized that I had to put my faith into action and do some of the things that I've shared with you. And some of these things included, you know, I had to put my wedding rings back on. I was so hurt when I took them off and I was angry and mad, but I just, out of obedience, of what God is telling me, I had to go in there and take them out of that drawer and put them back on. And then, as I shared before, I I had space where my clothes were at, where his used to be. Um, You know, whenever I spaced my clothes out of where his were now missing, I then went back in there and I moved mine back over to my side and I left room for his to come back. I also did that with the drawers. I put my Bible on his pillow at night, and I spoke positive of him, my husband. I took all the negative thoughts and the feelings to God and the one trusted believer who committed himself to stand with me. And I did not speak those things to my husband. I shared them with my friend who was standing with me, believing with me, praying with me and for me. That was the one person that I could trust. Ironically, this one person was uh, a husband to, uh, he was a widowed husband to my friend who had passed away years ago. And one of her, um, one of her wishes was that her husband and I would become close. You see, she was um, old enough to be my mother and uh, they never had children. And so she looked to me as her daughter, and she wanted to know that the two of us were close, and I just felt like it would never happen. But it did when it came to this situation. You see, he was a pastor, and he was able to share with me, and he was one of those who wasn't afraid to go that extra mile. He wasn't afraid to be seen as a Jesus freak or a fool. He he knew, and he said, let's go. I'm I'm in this with you. So every time I would feel a weak moment where I just needed to hear someone else's voice, I would call him, usually call him crying, and he would just lift me up and give me backup and remind me of the things I told him because this also seemed to be a learning experience for him as well. 
because he needed to um, be reminded of these things. He needed to have to dig in the scripture and have to look and find as well. So both of us were benefiting from this. And I thank God that I had him in my life. And I thank God that my friend had wished that and prayed that because, you know, there was coming a time that I was going to need that support as I walked through this uh, trial, <laughs> as I felt like it was. So you see, patience is really vital because depending on what your actions are and what your works are showing, it can also negatively reflect that you don't believe that God is going to heal your marriage or whatever situation that you're in. So be really careful. Say getting mad at God or going out drinking or if you find another attractive person that comes along, you're deciding to pass your time with them. You think, I'm just going to spend time with this person until it happens, until God decides to heal my marriage. No, you can't go around doing those things and thinking that God's going to heal your marriage. That is most definitely a lie from the pit of hell. You have to know that Satan is at battle and he will do anything that he can to get you off your faith. He will use other people, even people who love the Lord. They can be deceived. So you have to remember that. His actions can be sweet like pie, and it seems so good and intentionally meant for you. Beware. God's not happy with actions and thoughts such as this. He is not happy. Now, listen, I know I'm talking about marriage mostly here, but I'm still telling you whatever it is that you're believing for, if it lines up with the will of God, these, these are the same things you have to stand on. And you see, God does not break his covenants. Even our worlds accept contracts to be carried out. So how much more should we honor a contract with our God than the world? And yes, even though we cannot see him, we still believe it. Get your Bible and read right now in Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 9, or at least mark it. This is extremely an important note for you to know. Jesus said the only reason that Moses allowed, he did not say command, as the Jews did, the people to divorce. It was because of the hardness of their hearts. That's why. You see, the Old Testament people, they were not born again. They didn't have that opportunity the way that you and I do, because Jesus didn't die on a cross for them. So understand that. Sometimes people totally skip over that. But the Old Testament people not being born again, they did not have the Holy Spirit in their hearts, nor the love of Jesus in them that's available to all new covenant people like you and me. Hardness of the heart were, it was, it was not created in man by God. It came whenever man committed high treason to God and he took on the satanic sinful nature. We are free from sin and its dominion over us if we are born again. The Old Testament people weren't and God knew it and therefore he was more tolerant of them then. You see, this is the difference today and how we deal with our marriages. We have Jesus. They didn't. Back then, Jesus had not yet come into this world and made a new life possible for them. 
Jesus said from the beginning, it was, it was so. And before man was given dominion over this earth to Satan. In other words, God didn't provide a divorce clause for Adam and Eve. It came with the law as a provision until Jesus came. He has come and he has risen. This is our good news. This is our good news. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 22, we must forgive each other, not seven times, but 70 times seven. This includes even adultery. God didn't intend to leave men or women with hard hearts. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 through 28, God tells us, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart, your heart of stone, and I will give you this heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in a land that I give your ancestors and you will be my people and I will be your God. So even if you have a spouse that's not saved, it is according to God's will that any person be saved. First Timothy chapter two, verses three through four, it says, this is good and pleases God, our savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. First Corinthians chapter seven, verses 10 through 16 tells us unto the married, I command yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But, and if she departs, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband and let not the husband put away his wife, but to rest I, not the Lord, if any brother hath a wife that believeth not and she's pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath a husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else where were your children unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbelieving depart, a brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God hath called us to peace. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether you shall save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou saveth thy wife? The first four verses again repeat in the Lord's commandments about no divorce. And here is verse 15. On the first glance, it seems to contradict the first four verses. However, depart does not mean divorce. It simply means if your partner has left you or threatens to leave, be cool. Keep the peace. If he goes, he goes. But God doesn't say you can't pray pray him right back into your home again. And the 16th verse is easier to understand in the New English Bible. Think of it as, as a, a wife. You may be your husband's salvation. As a husband, you may be your wife's salvation. So, um we see that verses 15 and 16, they do not mean if you if your unsaved partner leaves you, just divorce them because how do you know 
if they're ever going to be saved. As some people have tried to say who wants to be to like bend God's word. Um, and then that's contrary to first Timothy two through four, which says it's God's will for all to be saved and can pray for their salvation and get it according to Mark eleven twenty four. Did you know that your partner really isn't the problem here though? And here's why. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, according to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. So, of course, as human as we are, flesh and blood. So God is saying that your battle is not against each other, but against the four names classifications of demonic powers. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. That's the real you, your spirit. Your spirit is the real, true you. Your spirit is governed by spiritual forces. There are two sources of spiritual motivation, the Holy Spirit, and Satan, and his hired hands, or demons. You see, life is a moment-by-moment decision for or against Christ. If you hear uh, a thought in your head that you can't picture Jesus saying to you, then you know where it came from. Pitch it. Don't act on it. Thoughts motivating you to criticize, nag, or condemn your partner, they're not from Jesus. They're not. They're negative. You are not under condemnation either. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. And our God is a God of love, and he would not speak destruction to his children. I'm not saying that everyone is demon-possessed. They're not. Satan is called the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2, 2. And we must be aware that Satan's spirits, satanic spirits, can hoover around us and try to motivate and influence us in the thought realm. Sometimes deliverance is necessary, but when you sense the gloom and the depression in your house, those spirits are in the air, and you need to take authority over them and command them to leave in the name of Jesus. The two of you may be in an argument. You say hurtful things, angry things to one another. It's not the person, but the one who chose to buy into the satanic motivation because they heard it or they thought it was their own and they acted upon it. And just so you know, Satan loves to overuse this tactic as much as possible. You, however, can you can learn how to recognize this and you can avoid participating in it. You now should be able to recognize that Satan is using your partner and he can use you too. And sometimes Satan uses uh, these other people, even those who really, truly love you. These people are used to get you to give up on your marriage or your miracle or whatever it is that has that you're you're believing for that you're waiting for and and remember that um one example my mother my mother loves me probably more than anyone in the world 
And um, she would say things while I was waiting for my husband to come back home. She said, I don't know how you can wait so long. I don't know how you can tell someone that you love them and they don't reciprocate it back. You see, so that was the enemy trying to use my beloved mother to uh, get me off my path. Now, of course, she wanted my marriage to be healed. But those words, that's why we all have to be careful with our words. And those words really started persuading me like, that's my mama. She loves me. And that's right. What she's saying is, it is hard. You know, it is hard. And I, and I am tired of saying it and not hearing it back. But I kept doing it anyway, because I felt like that's what God wanted me to do. That's what God would have me to do. But as much as that was wearing me down, you know what I did? I turned around and I said, Father God, I know that I promised you I'd wait 10 years. But I'm getting weak, Lord. And I need you to do something. And I'm going to tell you more about that later. But I want you to know that God listens. I want to encourage you in that. There is so much stuff here that I could share with you. And I could just go on and on right now. But I'm giving you chunks of it, enough to digest. And so when we meet this next time, we will be talking about how we have authority. We have authority in Christ, and we have all authority over the enemy. And that is great news. And we're going to talk about more about how we need to exercise that authority. So be, uh, be ready for that. You have a great night, a great day tomorrow, and I will see you back here. And remember, I love every one of you. Thank you.